Welcome to another edition of The Postscript, the Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series, where we talk to pastors and professors from Living Faith Bible Institute. We hear about what's going on in their life and their ministry, and then we make application to your life, and hopefully we're bringing it from the pulpit, from the classroom, and into a real-life setting for you. If you're watching, I know what you're thinking. Wow, Brandon cut his hair and he looks really good. <laughs> but no, I'm Pastor James Fife. I work here at Midtown Baptist Temple, and I am a guest host today. And I have the privilege of interviewing my fellow laborer, my good friend in ministry and in life. There's, there's a lot to say here, but across from me, I get to welcome to his own show, Pastor Brandon Briscoe. How are you doing? Good. This uh, is a little awkward, but it's cool. I'll get used to it. It'll take a minute, but yeah. It's yeah. weird being introduced to your own show it's, and sitting it's over weird. there. You did a great job, by the way. All right, then let's start with this, because okay. a lot of people know you as, uh, you know, Brandon Briscoe, pastor of Kaya. Uh, and a lot of people have come into your, to your life and to your ministry, you know, in the last five to 10 years. But maybe what a lot of people don't know or the 20 to 30 years before that. And what I would mm -hmm. like to do is for you to just kind of walk us through uh, your life, you know, kind of where you grew up, how you grew up, how you came to Christ, how you got plugged in in ministry, how you got connected with Sam, just some of that, who you are, so that yeah. people can get a little more backstory on you. Well, uh, so the backstory is I grew up in Kansas City. I've been here my whole life. I love Kansas City. We lived in an area of Kansas City called Ruskin Heights. But uh, throughout my, my childhood, it was kind of, it was a little rougher. Uh, it got a little rougher during that time frame. And there used to be a, a bus that would come through the neighborhood and pick up kids and take them to church. Mm -hmm. And so while my parents uh, were Christians, they professed Christ. Uh, they didn't, weren't a part of a church. And so they started, actually our involvement at this church started as the bus just coming to pick up, you know, me and my sister up. My sister had a, um, a disability. She had spina bifida. Mm -hmm. And so she was in a wheelchair and the she's older, or younger, older. She's, uh, about two years older than me. Okay. And, and you're so the second child. I'm the second child. Um, and, uh, so, you know, my first exposure to church was the bus, you know, accommodating my disabled sister and just loving on us and, um, you know, cookies in the, in the kids class. Mm -hmm. And, um, so those are my first memories of church. And then eventually my parents started going. As time passed, you know, I had two more siblings, a brother uh, who came after me, and then a, a sister. So there was four of us. Mm -hmm. uh, but just as my um, brother was being born, my sister uh, got sick. And so the thing about spina bifida, especially back in the day, it meant she couldn't walk. And then it meant that there was a, a shunt uh, that ran to her brain, from her brain to, to drain fluid. And, mm -hmm. and it was common for stuff like that, especially in the 80s, to to have problems. And so the, her life expectancy wasn't super high, but, but I don't think anybody anticipated that she would get sick so fast. And mm -hmm. so she was five years old. I believe I, I was three or almost three years old. She, she got sick and, and went to the hospital, was there for a very short period of time before she passed. And that was hard on my family, you know, yeah. um, my dad was already kind of a somewhat emotionally unstable person. Mm -hmm. And then this just kind of set him off and it was the justification for him kind of losing his mind. And, and so there was a, a time period there, um, you know, a few years where he was, you know, using his depression and things as an excuse to, 
to be abusive uh, and to leave just to, to disappear, you know, maybe mm -hmm. sometimes days on end. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard for my mom. I mean, she was growing in her faith and she wanted to trust the Lord. And, um, but, you know, I, I, you know, I remember vividly, um, you know, arguments, uh, my, my dad throwing a, a huge bowl of spaghetti against the wall. Um, I remember him taking a, a photo of our family and breaking it over the back of a chair. And, mm -hmm. and then it just escalated, you know, eventually he was hitting her, hitting my mom and, and, uh, and I'm young, I'm real little and I'm seeing yeah. this. And your brother had come into the family by then. My brother was a baby. And, and then eventually, you know, uh, while my mom's trying to reconcile the re relationship and, and not divorce, um, you know, she has my sister as well. And about the time my, my sister is born is about the time that, that, uh, that she decides to move forward. It's, it's too abusive. It's dangerous mm -hmm. for the kids. And she decides to divorce him. And, but I have a lot of questions about heaven, about hell. You know, where is my sister's name was Lindsay. Where's, where is Lindsay? All of the chaos in my life kind of forced me to a place where I'd ask really hard questions. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, at, at age six, I accepted Christ in the midst of my mom's divorce. And, yeah. and, uh, and then, you know, at that point, uh, you know, we moved and um, my mom was really concerned about my dad finding us because of his, because he was so abusive. She was fearful. She was fear. She was yeah. fearful. And back then you could hide from people because there was no internet. Mm -hmm. Right. So like right. we moved around a bunch. And yeah. so we were living at that point, we were living in, in Raymore and then we moved back into the city into, into uh, um, not far from where I grew up over off Bannister. And we were just always moving around and eventually ended up in Lee summit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and my mom raised us out in Lee summit. It was, you know, that was good. It was like a, a season where we were away from my dad and my grandparents were help raising us. And, and it was, there was a season of peace, some growth, you know, I, I had a burning desire to follow the Lord, but I didn't go to a church that empowered me to grow. There was no serious intent growth in God's word, the yeah. way it was at KCBT for you guys. Right. And so I just didn't know. And I, you know, I've kind of fell into the world. Uh, by the time I was in middle school, you know, a single mom raising three kids, is hard. Mm -hmm. My mom was a champ. My grandparents were a huge help, mm -hmm. but I was fairly uh, liberated in my and uh, what I was allowed to do. And so, sure. you know, I, there was no. I don't ever remember a curfew. You know, my mom loved me, and she wanted what was, wanted what was best, and she always did her, her very best. But like by the time I was about fourteen or fifteen years old, because I, I felt um, ill-equipped or incompetent or unimportant uh, to the mission. I think it just gave me more excuse and justification to find purpose other places. So basically from the time you're about six, your father left and that yeah, was yeah. basically the last contact you had with him. He came back he around out a little uh, bit. when I was in middle school and, and showed up and came to some of my basketball games and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and got, had us for a weekend one time. And, you know, that was all very nerve wracking and scary and weird. Uh, and then he disappeared. And then uh, he uh, he died my senior year of high school. Mm -hmm. um, he got a brain tumor. Uh, he was really unhealthy. Drugs, alcohol had worn on him. Um, yeah. Just lived a really hard lifestyle. And so he died in his early 40s. And at the time, you know, uh, I had already come back to the Lord. So, so playing basketball, I met Joe Medlin, okay. our friend. 
And Joe, uh, we were at a basketball camp in Columbia, Missouri, where MU plays, MU basketball camp. And you're freshman, sophomore now? This is a sophomore year of high mm -hmm. school. And uh, I'd known Joe through basketball, but we'd never really connected in an in-depth way. Mm -hmm. And one night we just stayed up really late and he was talking about the word of God. And it was just like mind boggling, you know, uh, that what he knew, like I yeah. didn't know Christian guys our age could know the Bible. Like he sounded like the, the pastor at the church that I grew up in. Like uh -huh. It was that level of right. biblical knowledge. And yeah. so I was fascinated. And at that point I decided, you know what, I'm jumping ship. And I started going to church with him and it was huge. It started impacting my life. So it was around that time frame, um, my senior year of high school, after I'd come back to the Lord, that my dad passed away. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know, know what to do uh, other than to just not think about it. Um, okay. So it was like, it was painful for a moment. And then I just kept going forward. Like I knew that, you know, uh, I had a greater purpose and it was like in this intellectual kind of, uh, you know, compartmentalization, like mm -hmm. I'm going to put this over here for now and maybe someday I'll deal with it. And, uh, so that was around, I was around 18 at that time. Yeah. So Joe Medlin came into your life. Joe. He starts showing you, you know, that that a young person in high school can study the word for themselves, can mm -hmm. have a relationship with God, uh, that that's not reserved for a pastor, that right. that's actually what God wants for everybody. Yeah. So Joe's father uh, kind of stepped yeah, in Mitt, and started Mitch. playing a, a big role in your life, Mitch Medlin. You Lots of late nights with like uh, pizza rolls and, uh, and the Bible open, right. asking qu crazy questions and doing the whole Q&A thing with him, yeah. Yeah, and so you also met Eva while you were in high school, mm -hmm. yep. right? Yep. Who shortly thereafter became your wife. Right. Uh, and then we met around yeah. that same time. Mm -hmm. How did we connect? Through, it was Joe. through Joe. It was through Joe we met. Mm -hmm. And uh, my first experiences with that I remember with you were going over to the house that you grew up in. Mm -hmm. And just thinking that um, that neighborhood was bizarre. It's the strangest <laughs> neighborhood I've ever experienced in my life yeah uh it was like an it was like a circus world uh-huh i still i don't think i've ever experienced a neighborhood quite like the one that you grew up in and then you know when we went to co college i just so much of those early years are associated with bonfires in your backyard right and um you know you had james had a, a basically a small skate park in his front yard he had a big paved yeah. driveway with like a, a quarter pipe yeah. and a, a fun box and we skated all the time and um, just hung out late into the night. Yeah, so a lot of hanging out, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of time just, like you were alluding to with Joe or saying directly with Joe, just a lot of time also just sharing life and, and yeah. the word, not, um, you know, you talked about wandering maybe earlier. So by now you're seeing a different way to hang out. Yeah. Seeing a different yeah. way to build relationships. Yeah. I had, you know, the friends I grew up with, I love them, but, you know, I had to walk away. You know, I couldn't mm -hmm. retain those relationships and grow. And so, um, man, I, I replaced them with guys that were less my friends and you guys were just my brothers, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, it, uh, uh, around that time too, um, which I'm sure we're getting to this, I'm sure you're going to point this out, but so my, my brother was using drugs. My sister was using drugs. They were out of the house a lot. And, uh, you guys became my brotherhood. And so, yeah, yeah. a lot of those, 18, 19, 20, you know, early 20s was just time spent with you guys talking about the word, cultivating that fire that had, had mm -hmm. been quenched a long time ago. It was being stoked again and, and um, yeah, transformative. Pretty amazing to think that, as you were saying, a six, seven, eight-year-old could actually 
kind of feel the weight of souls and yeah and and the call that god has on your life do you think any of that tied back to the sister that you had and losing sure. her young or do you think that's just the way the holy spirit works like yeah uh i i mean i do think that's the way the holy spirit works i think uh life is comfortable even for a five six seven year old mm -hmm. my life wasn't mm -hmm. and so i think it forced me to consider things that other kids maybe don't have to consider or or people don't have to consider until late in life when they experience right. pain and suffering and and so i, I you know one of the things I, i'm sure you're, you're going to maybe ask about so when i'm I'm, by 22, just before I'm in getting engaged to Eva, you're in El Salvador. Mm -hmm. um, one of my best friends, the guy that discipled me, Dan, is in San Francisco studying uh, so to this, get his this master's. Is, this is now Pastor Dan Renault. Yeah, now Pastor Dan Renault. We're talking yeah. about, but yeah, super so grew, important. Grew friend. up in the same church, and so as you were coming in to KCBT, you got to know Dan as well. About yeah, that same time period. Yeah, around that yeah. same time, you know, I, I showed up to checkpoint. Uh, for the college ministry that Sam Miles pastored. Mm -hmm. And within the first few weeks, Dan had come up to me and asked me if I wanted to get discipled. I think he saw that we were kindred spirits. And uh, Dan discipled me. It, it, for a long time, he discipled me, way longer than you're supposed to. But we were <laughs> so close, and we become such tight yeah. friends that we really held on to that relationship, and, and we're still very, very close. So, you know, Dan is in San Francisco. You're away on uh, doing missions in El Salvador. A lot of my friends are gone. I'm getting ready to get married. Mm-hmm. And just before the wedding, just a, you know, I think it was a couple months before the wedding, my brother died in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was probably that's probably the most painful thing I've ever experienced yeah. uh, was losing him. And uh, and so the thing that I think I, I recognize in retrospect, and I think this is what you were alluding to, was that the suffering mm -hmm. that I experienced in life, I think God has used it. Like I think, I think there's something to um, when life is fleeting. You know, when you recognize that you're you're with someone one day, and then the next day they're gone. Mm -hmm. um, I think it does. I think it changes you, uh, and uh, and so I've always felt. You know, I've always been pre pretty sensitive person, like yeah. just emotionally sensitive, and I think that that um, is. God cultivated that through loss and um, my understanding of souls mm -hmm. and, and heaven and hell and uh, the impact of eternity. I think I just began to understand that at an early age and, and it's just haunted me ever since. Yeah. You know, I can't get, I can't avoid it. So right. it's by no means do I do everything right. I don't live by those terms, uh, you know, the way I should, but it, it is a, it is pressing. It yeah. is very pressing on my life. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important just to work through some of that and just so, so some of the people who know you just see where you come from and to see that pastors come from all different backgrounds. Yeah. They're not all perfect. They're yeah. not all right. Yeah. They're not ideal. There are a lot of people out there who can identify with your story, not having a father or, or wandering as a, as a young man mm -hmm. or, or loss, you know, losing loved ones, siblings, you know, people in your own family. I think, I think there's a whole nother episode that should probably happen just to talk about grief and counseling and loss. Sure. I think there's yeah. a lot there that we don't have time to jump on today. It's a big topic. It's a sure. very big topic. Um, you and your brother were close. Yeah. Um, and for a while there, you mentioned you know his struggles too, but for a while, uh, just before I went to El Salvador, he too was, was getting yeah. plugged in. 
you know, he was, he, he got baptized. I remember him getting baptized. I remember him sitting around the house with us sometimes. Well, he lived with you for a period when he was trying to get his, on his feet. Yeah. 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 No, the, the, the tough thing was that he was in a season of, um, conviction Mm -hmm. and transformation. You know, he was a believer Mm -hmm. and, uh, his life was beginning to transform. I mean, he was having struggles, but I was seeing change in him and, and, uh, things were, were pretty hopeful. Um, but you know, sin would just it just caught up to him, and um, I think that one of the one of the greatest uh, blessings that I had was it was to watch him um, worship. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a season where he was coming to church regularly, and he was a part. He was fellowshipping with us, and yeah. he found himself. and And one of the things that I'm gonna cherish forever was the season that we had together with him where he was he was in worship and in mm-hmm. fellowship and and uh yeah but you know his loss um had a had a huge impact on yeah. me for sure i can't deny that oh yeah absolutely it's losing anyone close to you would especially yeah. your brother sure and probably the one that you were bonded to at not having a father as well yeah no we grew up as playmates and yeah. right mm-hmm. i think my single greatest memory of your brother so for those who don't know your brother physically he was a big boy and a big man this kid had some joy in his heart yeah. there for a while and the single greatest memory is he you know he even got uh, a burden for his friend uh uh-huh. you know that yeah. guy cole yeah I think was his yeah. name and mm-hmm. we ended up leading cole to the lord yep in that house yep in and your living room was a part of that yep so no it, yeah praise the lord i, I miss him he was a, a, a loving joyful person and uh and I can't wait to see him again. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing him again is a huge motivation for my life too. Like, you know, the things that he knows about our reality, uh, as much as I want to hear a well done, you know, from the Lord, mm-hmm. man, I can't wait uh, just to to see him and know that that he's, you know, proud of me and as yeah. well and, and that I, you know, I stayed the course, right? Yeah. So. You made the comment that you had to, to cut a lot of relationships coming into that time in your life, yeah. where you're, where that critical time where you're making a decision. I think maybe for your brother, that was one of the struggles and not cutting those yeah. relationships, right? And so um, real quickly, that's that's critical though, isn't it? Yeah. Who you spend time with sure. and who you choose to, to influence, allow to be your influence? Yeah, I, you know, being in the high school ministry and now in college and young adult ministry, it's a conversation you have to have a lot mm-hmm. because these are n- new believers. A lot of them are young in their faith and a lot of them have old relationships that are unhealthy for them. And so one of the things that we always talk about is that you you share your intimate dialogue with believers. Yeah. And uh, intimate friendship is should be built around the family of God. And these are the people that you should be trusting and they're the ones that you should be building you know, confidential relationship with. And I think the moment that um, that as a believer, you allow the lost to be a part of those confidential conversations and they mm-hmm. become the intimate the intimate relationship in your life and, and they're the ones that you trust and you get your counsel from, is you're setting yourself up for hurt and for failure and, um, and to be sifted. So yeah, I, d- I really do believe it's important that when someone decides that they're gonna follow Christ with their life, that that requires really hard decision making. Like there's a, there's a cost of discipleship. We always talk about that. If yeah. you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, there are things that you're going to have to sacrifice along the way, and that might even be might even be relationships. Yeah. So those are really critical points that hopefully people are hearing. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I I went through some of the same stuff too mm-hmm. in terms of just counting relationships. So you made a decision 
to cut off a lot of peers and to trade those for fathers. Dan came yeah. into your life, Mitch Medlin came into your life, then Sam Miles came into you, your life. You were in some way that. And yeah. then I was in some way that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you you got men that would be able to lead you and mm-hmm. guide you, yeah, yeah. spiritual men that came into your life. And so those were critical relationships, right? And so Yeah, I mean, especially not having a father. Right. Um uh you know, greatly desiring to have you know, relationships with men that were affirming and encouraging and edifying and building up and 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 to be able to hear the things I always wanted to hear, um, which was just the words of God. Like yeah. I just wanted someone to teach me, right? right. And to show me and to model something for me that looked different than what I'd seen. Um and uh all of those men uh played a huge role in f- fostering you know, uh, a desire to father myself, you know, to be pastoral and to lead. Mm-hmm. You know, when I left the, ch- the church to come to KCBT, the, the church that I grew up in, uh, I went to the youth pastor and I said, because I had this great conviction, like I had gone to a church camp and I just, there's the, the conviction was being, you know how to church camps. Right. So my heart was burning. Yeah. And the thing that the Lord was telling me, I, which is weird because I never felt like the Lord had spoken to me this way before. But the thing I kept hearing and seeing was, be a leader, mm. lead. And I went to the youth pastor and said, I just, I don't know how to be a leader here. Mm-hmm. Like no one's showing me how, like, I know that you guys love the Lord, but no one's showing me. And what I got by moving and fi- finding you guys was uh, an opportunity to learn how to lead. And and uh, I'm so thankful for that. You, you came into Sam Miles College Ministry and that mm-hmm. was huge. You had yep. uh, another father, Dan and Sam became crucial yeah. men in your life. Sure. Um, but also you just, you know, you went to college, um, to get a degree. What'd you study? Uh, I studied design. I've I've always been an artist, uh, from a young age. I knew that I wanted to be in the arts. And so I went to UMKC, you know, we didn't have a lot of money as you can imagine. And so I got a full ride scholarship to the local university here for, for art. So that, that was the, that was the answer. Like I wasn't going to, like once I knew that, that's, that's where I'm going. So, um, I studied design, did that for four years. And then, um, and then, uh, graduated with a studio art degree with an emphasis in design, and and um, that's and then, what I got my job. And in. then, yeah, you started working in the field. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got a job. There's a there's a company here called the Roastery. Uh, it you know it it's big co- big coffee company in the specialty mm-hmm. coffee industry in the late '90s, uh, early 2000s. Super influential in mm-hmm. in terms of the coffee industry. No one cares about this. I, I won't camp out there, but. <laughs> They were like a big deal in the Kansas City area, and you know, branding wise, they had a they had a big presence here in yeah. the city, and and I worked uh, as their brand manager and designer for for the company, and so I did that for three years, I think. But you didn't stay there long. No, no. And then you went back to school. Yeah, in a different so area. You want me to tell that story? Yeah. So you know, okay. So my brother passes away. Um, I get married. That's rough. Like that first year of marriage was awesome with Eva, mm-hmm. but I was an emotional mess, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a whole not, that's a whole other thing. It was it was a rough time, but about the same time frame, uh, you know, we bought a house close to Kansas City Baptist Temple with the intention of doing ministry and being near there. But just as we purchased the house and just as we got married, Sam's like, okay, now we're doing crosstown missions, which yeah. which. For those of you who don't know, that translate to we're planting Midtown Baptist Temple. Right. We're, we're going to go to the city and plant a church. 
Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is Miles Cheadle, and LFBI is an incredible asset for anybody that wants to, to learn and to grow in their knowledge of the Word of God, and not just that, but to apply it uh, in ministry and to grow as a minister. Uh, you have incredible uh, preachers and pastors and missionaries uh, that aren't just teaching the Word of God, but they, they live it out in their everyday lives. And so it makes the insights that they share incredibly practical uh, for day-to-day ministry. Uh, again, this is a place to, to continually be challenged in the Word. Uh, we don't want to be people that go stagnant in our walks. Uh, we need to be put in remembrance. And so even if you say, man, I learned these things years ago, well, we need to be put in remembrance and to continue to trust God to grow and to stretch us and to equip us invest in others. And so if you haven't already, this is something that you want to be a part of. Uh, And so I just encourage you to consider that. Uh, Thank you. Bye. If that interests you at all, please visit lfbi.org and consider enrolling in classes. Those early years, you know, when I was a designer and just gotten married, uh, we were planting this church with a group of about you know, 25 or 30 serious mission-minded people. And it was a lot of work and it was, you know, but I was still young, you know, I was Mm -hmm. 22 and I didn't see myself really as a leader yet. Um, Mm -hmm. I love the Lord. I saw myself as an evangelist. Mm -hmm. I've I've always seen myself as an evangelist before anything else. And so I just thought I'd play that role and I'd help and I'd be a servant. And I just like probably six months or so, maybe a year into the church plant, Sam asks me, he asks me uh, if I'd be willing to be work with the middle school and high school students. There was only a few of them, right, Mm -hmm. that were coming. And so he asked if I'd be willing to do that. And I thought that was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I told him as much. I was afraid and also just seemed way outside of my wheelhouse. But he was persistent and he, he, you know, him and Chris Best both thought it would be good. And so I considered it. I prayed about it. And a week later, I told him I'd, I'd be willing. But I told him that in six months, when the guy that's supposed to do this job shows up, um, yeah. then I'm, hand, I'm handing it off because this just isn't for me. Yeah. So uh, a year later, um, you know, I'm running errands. I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm doing the design thing and, and I'm running an errand and I, I'm driving down uh, Broadway right over here. Mm-hmm. And there is a design like uh, fair and uh, they're lined up outside of a, th- there's a theater over here called the Uptown Old Theater and the, there's designers lined up like uh, lemmings, like, you know, ready to walk off the cliff, just going yeah. down and around the block and, and they all have their giant portfolios in their hand. And and I drove by it and I thought to myself, they want my job. And I'm thinking, do I want my job? Is this is this what I want to do? And between that moment and getting to where I was driving, mm-hmm. I was convinced that I was supposed to go back to school uh, to be an educator and that my my passion was actually to reach high school students. Wow. I just, you know, in the distance of that drive, I, I had I had been convinced of the Lord that the trajectory was wrong, that mm-hmm. this was this was fine for the moment, but that my eyes need to be set on on getting an education degree so I could be a high school art teacher. Literally all this is within the drive, which is how wild how God works. No, and it's always this way. Like I'm always <laughs> clueless until I'm not. 
You know what I mean? It's like it just turns the light on for it you. It just the light once. turned on. And so yeah. I went I went to school. I took a summer class and I resigned from my job. Mm-hmm. I was all in. I was, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it all in. Mm-hmm. And um, and so uh, I had only had one education course, which did not qualify me to teach. Yeah. When I got an interview at Lee Summit West High School. Mm-hmm. And uh, while I was completely unqualified, apparently the interview went okay and they they offered me the job. And so I was on a temporary certification until I got my degree and I, and I was working at the high, I was overnight. It felt like, you know, there's a distance of a summer, just two and a half months. And I was a teacher. I was teaching wow. in a local high school. Yeah. And I had told myself, you know, I'm not going to be the high school teacher I had. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be, I, I want people to have someone that they can respect in their lives that takes them serious and uh and i want to share the gospel with everybody mm-hmm. and so uh i didn't always do that perfectly but you know i, I taught for 10 years you know i taught as yeah. an art teacher for 10 years and I, I was fruitful at times so i'm thankful for that that yeah story yeah praise the lord yeah. for uh, a line of lemmings yeah no doubt yeah. like i just I, that just turned my stomach just something <laughs> just didn't sit right and, uh, but no, and so I just, I spent 10 years making art students and uh, helping them. Get, so they can go stand so in they that could line go stand in and that try line. to find yeah. a job. But and, along the way, the, the goal was to get them yeah. saved and, and discipled. And, right. and I think God, I miss it. You know, I miss it. Yeah. Teaching. Uh, yes. In the school. I, I miss being, a, in my mind, a full-time evangelist. Is yeah. Guys, uh, right. you know, I miss that. But... Uh, but I'm also very, very thankful for the fruit, mm-hmm. you know, like some of them are in the room working these cameras right now and people that I love that I never, you know. Everyone in this room is from Lisa and the West. Oh, well, yeah. Including the one who just left. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, yeah. So God, uh, God has been way better to me in terms of ministry and fruitfulness than I deserve. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. So what you choose to study in college, though, matters oh, and yeah. it can have a huge impact on ministry yeah sure. we should be looking at our degree selection as you know ways to get us on the mission field ways to plug us into ministry right yeah yeah and i i think education is important especially for a missionary because anymore as an american you really can't go to a lot you know to a lot of these countries uh, without having some sort of degree or specialty mm-hmm. that they need. Mm-hmm. And so having an education is important. Um, but I think being specific in what you study in. So if you want to be a missionary, well, what, what is it that other countries need? You mm-hmm. know, uh, you have to ask that question. You know, do they need, uh, you know, people to, to be English teachers? Do they need nurses? Do they need, what do they need? And mm-hmm. then, uh, and start adapting your life and your degree around that. If, yeah. if you want to, if you want to be an evangelist, well, then you got to ask yourself, where are all the people at? Where can I work with people? Where can I work with people? Keep me out of a cube. Man, and and you know what? There's yeah. you know people that need to work in a cube because maybe they're... They're built that way. They're built that way, and that's cool too, but... So God can use anyone anywhere. Yes. But if you're a college student, if you're a, a late high school student, and they're coming to you and saying, ah, I'm just going to do this, that's really an opportunity for you to say, hey, look at what God could do with yeah. you. Let's yeah. really consider that. Yeah. yeah, I think I've convinced... Uh, maybe unintentionally, but I've convinced a lot of people to be to be high school teachers. Yeah, uh, because they they see the value. Absolutely. You know, I had 180 at times, 180 students come through my 
class in a given semester. Right. And then it just turns over. It's like yeah. a whole new crop the next semester. And it's like. And they, their parents are paying to put them in school to sit and listen to you. Yeah, they're stuck there. Yeah. yeah, they pay their tax, but they're stuck there and they're expected to listen to you. Yeah, it's great. In terms of evangelism, you can't it's get great. much better than that. It's great. And you've got to look for open doors just like anywhere else. Yeah. I, I couldn't, at times I just preached, <laughs> but as a, as a general rule, you had to look for open doors. You had to wait for opportunity for someone yeah. to say, Hey, I've had this, you know, to engage you in spiritual dialogue. And that, that, that's your open door because by law, um, at least in the state of Missouri, uh, from what I've read, uh, yeah. that, that as long as someone is engaging you in that dialogue, you are invited to reciprocate. And mm -hmm. so I took full advantage, you know, anytime someone said anything about supernatural things or like, do you, you know, engage them the so everyone can hear, you know, yeah. anything that came up and then, yeah, you speak in such a way where your voice carries and, yeah. and people have to listen to you. Yeah. So you became an educator. Yeah, you got so you, you got a degree in that, you got practice in that, and then you started applying that here in Midtown Baptist Temple as well, junior high, high school. Uh, so what are some of uh, you know maybe keys to that age if you're ministering to to young to young students? Kind sure. Of, yeah. Well, I you know uh, one of the things about high school ministry, which was so different from being in the high school and evangelizing, because a lot of those kids, I couldn't get them to come to the city. I was, in, I was ministering in a suburb. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the fruit had to remain. You know, it wasn't a whole lot of those kids that I invested in that actually could make their way mm -hmm. uh, to the city. Um, you know, their parents wouldn't let them, or, you know, sure. whatever, whatever it was. Yeah. So being a high school pastor, it was like these two realities. You know, they, they came... They came together at times. I, I learned a lot in both arenas. But the thing that I learned about high school ministry is that it's my responsibility as a high school pastor to um, to dig ditches, um, basically to 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 get the ground prepared to pour a foundation. Okay. And I may or may not get to pour that foundation. That might be the responsibility of someone that comes after me. But but my job is basically um, the it, you know, it might go without a lot of thanks or appreciation. Mm -hmm. No one's, no one thinks about a foundation until there's a problem with it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like people are usually, people are more concerned about the walls and the door right. and the windows and the siding and the roof and the, does yeah. the house look pretty? And You're only ever mad at a foundation. Yeah, right. Exactly. You think never, about it. You're never really ever excited about it. No. Uh, ah, so it's got a crack. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, my job and I knew it was to, dig ditches and if if i was given opportunity to pour foundation for someone else to build on okay and i grew okay with that and so that meant just building relationships saying hard things uh trying to support parents which is not always easy because you don't mm -hmm. always agree with parents and how they raise their kids and mm -hmm. so you know being abrasive for the gospel's sake where need you know where that tension needed to exist um, yeah. creating that and it was a, it, uh, one of the great privileges of my life. I, I cut my teeth ministering to high school and, and middle school kids. Yeah. And at that same time, so Dan Renault is, is, is now back um, from yeah. San Francisco. He's here at Midtown. He's the college, the college and young ministry. adults mm -hmm. pastor. Or, yeah. Before he, he wasn't pastor at the time, but right. he's pastoring. Mm -hmm. So he builds that kind of from the ground up. Yep. And then I, he's going to go plant a church. And so yeah, yeah. you become the next guy. And so you transitioned from junior high, high school up to Kaya. Up yeah, to that college was wild. and young adults. 
Yeah. That was wild. That felt like it happened overnight. But yeah. uh, the pastors said that they saw it. Okay. You know, uh, I was very content where I was at. And I would have always been a high school pastor if that's what they wanted me to be. But mm-hmm. but the moment that um, that I literally, literally never come into my mind, but the moment that Dan announced to the the pastors that he had a heart for Lee Summit mm-hmm. and that he got the stamp of approval on that was the moment they started talking about me taking his responsibility in the college young adult ministry and and uh, it once I heard it, it made sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it clicked and. Um, yeah, it's it's been great. So what was that like? Because Dan, as we said earlier, was like a father. He discipled you, and and, mm-hmm. and now he's been a mentor. Then all of a sudden, you're stepping into his shoes Yeah, at some level. That's got to be intimidating. You're becoming a peer kind of overnight from a guy who is your father. And in a lot of ways, you were already ministering yeah, together. Sure. But now you got to pick up his mantle. Yeah, which, you know, Dan, yeah, Dan and I, philosophically because we were both raised up by sam mm-hmm. and sam is probably the single most influential person in my life mm-hmm. and so I, you know i want to make sure i reiterate that point mm-hmm. i mean everything i understand about the philosophy of ministry he, he taught me yeah so um but so dan and i both learned from sam and so dan's ministry uh looked familiar like i got mm-hmm. it and, and i knew dan's heart i knew his heartbeat and so rhythmically it wasn't difficult for me to to move into his responsibility i kind of it felt natural Mm -hmm. but you know like i said earlier it's like everything's like a light switch for me like i'm like really really stupid and then suddenly and then all of a sudden i just see everything you're brilliant well i don't know about brilliant but i see things clearly okay and um and i knew coming into the ministry that dan had done an excellent job raising up a group of biblically literate leaders mm-hmm. and at the time i think there was like uh where they were hovering between 55 and 75 young people mm-hmm. in the ministry and uh there were a handful of small groups and uh it seems appropriate to think this but i just thought how do we make this more evangelical that was okay. the thing that came into my mind and so so if there was a mantle to take it was dan developed these leaders that were equipped and ready to do to to take the hill. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very Moses Joshua situation, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I feel like Dan did a lot of very difficult and hard work to ensure that there was a college and young adult ministry. And, and, um, you and know. then you just got the promised land. And I did, but I got to, I, I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm thankful for the fact that I get to go in and fight the giants and um, that I, that I get to, call people to be more evangelical because we, we were ready to do it. You know, the, yeah. the faith was there. The faith proposition had already been met. It was just a matter of taking that next step. And and so, yeah, it's been awesome. So, all right, well, cut to the chase. The the yeah. college and young adults class is now three to four times. The the size, just in sheer numbers, is, is when mm-hmm. you took it over. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so how does that happen? Because I think, you know, if there's things that we want to glean from you, there's a lot of people out there listening that are going, uh, how do we grow a college ministry? How do we reach the heart of a college student? What are the keys to this ministry? And what are the Mm -hmm. keys to those hearts? Not in the sense that you or we have it figured out. Yeah. We learned a lot the hard way. We learned a lot from Sam. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. We all did. Right. Uh, But what would you pass on? Uh, I think, well, I mean, there's some things that are just God given. Like, I think. I was handed a college and young adult ministry in a city with lots of colleges. That helps. So, so like the same way you might be strategic about yeah. picking a job, 
uh, when we when we planted this church, there was strategy involved in saying, well, we want to plant a church where there are a lot of young people. You know, Sam knew how to minister to young people, and so he wanted to see that continue, uh, and it's been healthy. Uh, but I think the main thing in terms of developing leaders to do the work or or to just cast the vision is, you know, discipleship is so ingrained into who we are mm -hmm. as a ministry, and we get that, and we do that well. But, but I think people of our ilk, you know, our church, but, you know, churches like ours, other churches in Living Faith Fellowship, have focused so much on discipleship that they've failed to see the evangelical piece of what they're doing. And so, and that's me, me included at times. Yeah. And so I think the thing that I, I say constantly is we need to be, we need to be finding the lost. We need mm -hmm. to be reaching the lost. You know, this is, this is constantly what we're talking about because I can, the, the discipleship piece is a given. The structure's there for that. The support, the vision is in place, but that evangelical piece is, a thing that I think we lose is it's it's more fleeting. Like it, it comes and goes in our hearts. The, the the significance of it comes and goes. And I think there's a lot of times where we forget about souls because mm -hmm. we get busy in life. And so we've just focused our attention on opening the Bible with the lost, and and that's born fruit. Like yeah. I don't, I've, there's no explanation uh, except for that we've we've prayed for it, and we've determined that an open Bible is effectual. Yeah. And it has been. And so I just beat that drum. It's not, I don't really think it's anything super special, uh, but uh, that's what we do. And, and, and the Lord's used it to grow the ministry and, and to see disciples made and, and hopefully churches planted in the future because young people are being developed. So that's it. That's the big secret. Just open the Bible. Yeah. Just sit down and open the Bible yeah. and then let God do the work. Yeah. Bible studies are everything for us. People want like more magic, you know, takeaways. That's it. Yeah, it's not it that is. complicated. It really is, huh? No, it's 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 pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, we open the Bible um, with people, and we do that in the context of small groups, and then we invite people to do that one on one with people they're investing in a more relational and more intentional type of of investment. Mm -hmm. um, and so, people at their workplace or at their college campus are doing studies in John. You know, we have a mm -hmm. young lady who's like on lesson two or three of discipleship, brand new to our ministry, um, used uh, Brian Clark's gospel course, that study yeah. through that, you yeah. know, used that to um, lead, lead someone to the Lord. Man. Like that just happened yeah. just a couple weeks ago. That's and so awesome. we're even with our, the youngest members of our ministry, we're, we're seeing that their heartbeat is also to reach the lost, their lost family members, friends, mm -hmm. people that they go to school with or work with. And, and they recognize that that'll happen as they open the Bible and, and, and study God's word. Yeah. And so our primary um, evangelistic tool is relationships in an open Bible, right? right we yeah. just say, let our Bible studies be evangelical and let our evangelism draw people into the Bible. And, yeah. And uh, no tricks. Let's just look at what God says. No tricks. Strategy, yeah. Strategy, I mean, sure. But, 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 but take the strategy every, is just... Strategies uh, open the word. Right. It's, the, it's a foolish, simplistic perspective that says... God's word is more powerful than my words Yeah, um, uh, that I can't persuade, yeah. but there's something very powerful and divine and transcendent about the word of God. And so we're going to open the book with people and let it do all the cutting, let it, let it negotiate all of the issues. And let people see Christ on every page. That's kind right. Of every Bible study, you're pushing people towards Christ. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So how many, Kai is big, mm -hmm. but 
Bible studies help make it small. And there's a lot of them. I yeah. don't know if you know the exact number. But there's a lot of small Bible studies now. Yeah, we'll have we'll have 31 by the end of February. 31. Yeah, we start meet when I came to the ministry. Weekly it was about or five, it was five Bible studies. Mm-hmm. But the thing is about Bible studies, if you want them to be evangelical, they're best served if they're lean and mean. And so we have we are constantly dividing Bible studies in order to train leaders. There's there's strategy there too, but mm-hmm. but uh, if the groups hover around five to ten people in a small group, mm-hmm. that's kind of a sweet spot relationally. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we're just you know we're dividing up groups constantly and trying to to see that ministry grow. Yeah. So I haven't heard you say anything about like. I don't know, kickball tournaments or like, no. you know, some of the kind of the silly stuff or fun stuff that yeah. maybe groups would do. So what you're really saying is that love people yeah. and love the word uh, and true fellowship trumps fun. and Yeah, you know, I've never, okay, so I've, because I had to grow up fast, I assume, yeah. I've never been particularly fun, which is ironic since I've only ever worked with young people. Yeah. I don't really like games. If I, if I play, I play to win. Like is that type of thing. No one yeah. wants to play games with me. I, it's, it's, yeah. not, it's not fun. I'm, so I've never been that guy. I just mm-hmm. never have been. Uh, but I do believe in souls, and um, I take that very seriously. Yeah. And I think I think they have they have fun without me. The young people just know how to have fun. They don't need me right. to orchestrate the fun. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, but, but fun flows out of a tr- real connection, yeah. a relationship. Sure. Kind of where we went back to when we were talking about you and us coming together at. 18, 19, 20. Yeah. There was a lot of fun. Yeah, but, but we that, took ourselves seriously too. But that flowed out of a heart that was rooted in the same yeah, thing. Yeah, we were serious about God's word. Yeah. We love God's word. We love to talk about it. And so we could have been, we could have probably been more fun. But if we would have been more fun, uh, neither of us would probably be pastors at this point. I don't know. Like yeah. if we weren't taking the things of God seriously and carving out space to be serious, mm-hmm. um, we could have just funded our way into like regular middle-class jobs mm-hmm. and, and you know, weekends at the lake, you know, I, but I'm not interested in that. And so I don't want to, I don't want to foster that. Uh, yeah. Fun is important. I, we had fun when we were young, but I, sobriety and zeal is harder to come by. That's good. Yeah. That's a good, good call right there. So um, maybe in short, to the high school pastor and to the college pastor, mm-hmm. how, are, what's different in terms of the people they're reaching? What would be? You've been in both. Yeah. Is there are there different keys? Yeah, it's it's different. I mean, if my job before was to to dig the ditches and, and pour the foundation, now I'm squarely in the foundation and framing business. Mm-hmm. And so my responsibility at this point is to build out the house. And, uh, you know, because when these young people come to me, they're ready. You know, it's not like when you're in, in student ministry, the kids are coming because their parents are making them a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. a, a large contingent. Our kids that have to be there. Uh, but in college ministry, it's that people are there because they want to be. And so with that in mind, um, I have a lot of liberty, right? I have a lot of liberty, a lot of freedom. And, um, and a lot of uh, malleable souls that are ready to learn. Their minds mm-hmm. are malleable, their hearts are malleable. And, and so we focus a lot of attention on just building out what is necessary to make every single one of these young people um, church planters. Yeah. 
I just assume that everybody's supposed to be a pastor, leader, and a church planner. That's right. That's the assumption. And if they're not supposed to be that, that's fine. But but I, if I work from that like presumption, then I think that's the safest place to be in terms of developing leaders. Yeah. So you have now, as we alluded to, everyone in this room is from Lee Summit West. Yeah. Uh, in your ministry, though, you have quite a few people that came out of that time where you were a teacher. Some mm -hmm. came out quickly, some that came years or even a decade later. So you have quite a few people now that are in this ministry that are fruit of seeds planted 10 and 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and even coming up into leadership and now becoming the next generation. Yeah. Uh, some of your key guys are old Lee Summit West guys. Mm -hmm. So how cool is that? Just, uh, you know, real quick, uh, you know, kind of full circle from Dan being your father and you stepping into his shoes. And now you've been able to, to father a lot of young men and here they come, they're coming up, they're going to be peers pretty soon. Um, no greater joy, right? Yeah. Than to know your, your children are walking in truth. Yeah. It is the greatest joy. And, you know, I, I, it's very much akin to the relationship I have with my own children. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a lot of these young people, they either don't have fathers in their life, you know, the same way I didn't, uh, or their fathers don't think spiritually or are maybe not quite like-minded. And the opportunity to be a father um, and to fill that void the way other men did for me is the highest calling on my life. Yeah. And I'm very, very thankful for it. Yeah. Yeah. Man, thank you so much for sitting Dude, down on the other side. Thanks for making me do it. I wouldn't have ever done this unless you guys forced me to, but I'm, I'm grateful. Thanks, man. I hope you guys enjoyed our time hearing about Brandon's life and uh, his ministry and just his heart for training fathers and reproducing fathers, his heart for the word and the importance of Bible study, of taking a big group and making it small in order to get bigger again. If you guys have any questions about that, how to grow in your walk with the Lord, how to train fathers, how to get plugged in, then you'll want to check out lfbi.org. There'll be a lot of resources for you there. I want you guys to be on the lookout. Coming in the future will be another guest uh, host and another interview with Pastor Briscoe somewhere down the road. Goodbye. <laughs>